Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. It's an honor to be with you today to uh, continue in our series in Genesis. I hope you've been enjoying the journey so far. We've got a long way to go, which is kind of exciting. And uh, this morning we're going to continue. Last, last week, if you were with us, Phil walked us through. We, we moved one generation down. So we saw that, we've seen this since the beginning that this is God's story, not our story, right? That, that God is the author of this story and that he's the main character of this story. And we don't take either of those places. And when we try to take those places, we just mess it up. And, and so we saw that with Adam and Eve. And then last week, uh, Phil preached a powerful message about Cain and Abel and, and, and how they, Cain tried to do the same thing, tried to write his own story, tried to take the pen away from God and how that didn't work out so hot. And, and yet God in his mercy, the way Phil left us was God in his, his mercy is greater than our mistakes and, and that God allows our story, allows his story really to go on and continues to invite us to be a part of it even, even in spite of our mistakes and that's that's right where we're going to pick up this morning as we move into the rest of chapter 4 and into chapter 5, we move through some genealogies. Who's excited? <laughs> genealogies, otherwise known as the parts of Scripture you skip, right? Our eyes glaze over. We just skim past it to get to the good stuff. But do you know this, this isn't just filler, this is here for a reason. If you don't know why it's here, you haven't dug deep enough yet, right? That's what I keep telling myself. When I run into a passage of Scripture, I have no idea, Lord, why you put this in your word. You know what? His word says that all of his word is valuable for teaching and equipping and encouraging the saints. So if I don't see the reason for it, it's not because there's not a reason. It's just because I haven't dug deep enough yet. So we come to the genealogies and we skip them, but there's a reason for it. And I want to invite us to see some of that reason this morning. It's, and and I, I think just to, just to paint a picture of what it, is, what it looks like, it, it's a little bit like this. We had a meeting this past week, a staff meeting, and we had invited a special guest. Keith Yoder is one of our overseers here at Grace. So Grace is an elder-led church. We have an elder team, but that elder team doesn't just operate independently of any authority. We submit ourselves to overseers. So Keith Yoder and Ben Abel, are, they, they don't attend here, but they're from the greater body of Christ, and we submit to their wisdom and their counsel as elders continue to make decisions here. And so one of our overseers, Keith Yoder, was in, and he was talking to us about presence-based leadership. And, and, and the first thing he did was he put a globe in the middle of the table. A globe, I should have brought a globe this morning. I didn't bring a globe. But he put a globe in the middle of the table, and, and he had us all focus on the globe. And, and as, as we looked at that globe, we were to, enter into a time of prayer and offer praise to God for his perspective and his position over all things in the world. That globe was a little representation of his view of our world and our lives. 
And, and as we were praising him for that, I sat looking at that globe, and the United States was facing towards me, and so I could see some little dots. Actually, Pennsylvania wasn't even on there. It was too small. But I could see the specks that represented where I lived, where we lived, and all my concerns and all my problems and everything I thought was valuable besides God all summed up in that one little speck that didn't even make the globe. And as I thought about God's perspective on that, it it put my problems and it puts those other things that I found valuable besides him, it put all of those in perspective. And you know what else it did? It put him in perspective. He's over all of that. It's no wonder he's the main character. It's no wonder he's the author. Why do I focus on all of those, all of those things that are a speck and I spend my life and I worry and I get anxious and I get upset and I get angry about all these things that fit within a little speck on a globe when God is so much bigger and he invites us to make him the focus. And so that's what a, a globe does. And, I, and I, I want to submit to you this morning, I think genealogies do a little bit of the same thing for us. See, see, as I looked at that globe, I got a perspective on my life and my problems and who our God is that I couldn't see normally because I get too close. And, and I think genealogies give us a perspective on our time and our lives. It zooms the camera out and gives us a perspective that we can't always see on our lives because it's, we're too close. And, and there's, there's an impact. What we're going to find this morning, I think, is, is that we, we move through these days and we don't think they matter much. And we're just waiting for the next big thing, and yet they matter. There's an impact to them. And if we zoom the camera out, we can't always see the impact, but we zoom the camera out, and God has a perspective on our time and our lives that we don't have. There's a principle in Scripture of sowing and reaping. Uh, of sowing and, and, and sowing seed. Sowing a seed, just planting a seed in the ground is such a simple, small act. And you can't see the change day after day after day. And years later, generations later, an oak tree still stands. I just couldn't see the impact when I planted because, it's, because I'm too close. I need to back up. I think that's what genealogies do for us. So we're going to enter into genealogies. Get excited. Let me, let me pray for our time that we can stay excited <laughs> through this time as we open God's word together. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for every part of your word, even the parts we don't understand, even the parts we gloss over. God, forgive us for glossing over what you would draw our attention to. God, we submit our hearts this morning to some things maybe that we would usually tune out, that I would usually tune out for one. And and God, I just confess that this week I, I tuned out sometimes to this. And God, I thank you for what you've, what I believe you've drawn my attention to, what I I pray that you would draw our attention to, that you have a perspective on our time and our days that is different, that you invite us to submit all of ourselves to you, and that there is a fruit that comes from that that we might never see but still is. It doesn't make it any less real. So God, we just invite you to plant a seed in us this morning. Just plant a seed. We're here to listen to you. God, I pray that you would just speak through my mouth, that these would not be my words, but your words. I submit my thoughts and my heart to you. And and God, I pray that you would remove anything that's not of you. And if if I speak anything that's not of you, just let it fall away and let it not be heard and not be remembered. God, let us remember you. We invite you to change us, God. And we trust you as we wait for you to change us more. In your name we pray.
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Got to find my table here. Wandered off. So, Genesis chapter 4. We're going to pick up right where we left off. Cain had wandered off out from the presence of the Lord. And here we pick it up. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Let's stop. If you were with us last week, Phil, (laughs) this was very similar to the way chapter 4 starts out. Adam making love to his wife Eve, and Phil made the point that you want to follow God, one way to follow God is follow his commands, get married, have lots of babies. So I don't need to make the point again. I just want to make the point of this. Cain, in all of his mistakes, God didn't remove the blessing. Do you you see that? God said, be fruitful and multiply. And when Cain screwed up royally, he could have taken that away and just said, here's the easiest way to end it. Cain, you can't have kids. And he didn't take it away. His grace and his mercy still flowed to Cain. That he was able to have kids and continue and have another opportunity to make another choice. Did he? Let's find out. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and to Irad, and Irad was the father of Mahuajel, and Mahuajel was the father of Mahuajel. I did have this ready, and I was going to go through it quick, so, and I messed up. And Mahuajel was the father of Lamech. So here we are, we're at Lamech, seven generations down from Adam. And Lamech married two women, and one named Adah and the other named Zillah. And Adah gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who lived in tents and raised livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all those who played stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. And And so you see, Genesis is sometimes called a book of origins, and here we're seeing some other origins, right? This is where musical instruments came from. This is where uh, raising livestock came from. And this is where we came from people who lived in tents and tools. And Tubal-Cain's sister was Nama. And then Lamech said to his wives, Ad and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. I'm going to stop there a minute. Because this is all we're told of, uh, of Cain's line, and then the camera shifts to something else. We'll go there in a minute. But here's, here's what I want to see, I want you to, us to see first, is if, if we were reading through histories from other cultures at this time, they'd sound really similar to this. There, there would be stories of people, and here's, here's how we learned a certain craft, or here's where some of the arts came from. And there would be stories of men who took multiple wives, and built cities, and started wars. Here's the one difference you would see if you read those other uh, histories of other cultures. You know what those people would be called? They'd be called kings. They'd be the rulers. They'd be the ones in charge. These are the ones culture looks to and lifts up and honors and values and follows. These are our kings. And it's different, though, when we come to Scripture. It doesn't call them kings. In fact, these people stand out Not as people to be honored, not as people to be followed, not as people to be mimicked, not as people to be uh, over, uh, over us, but people who have wandered very, 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 very far from the good intention of God. 
Sometimes we forget that, who the world honors, it looks so good. We've got to be careful that who we're honoring and who we're lifting up isn't wandering very, very far from the intention of God. And maybe we're honoring who we shouldn't honor. Maybe we're lifting up who we shouldn't lift up. We come to Lamech, seven generations from Adam, and, and look what happens. He takes two wives. First one in Scripture who's listed as having two wives. So there's the father of musical instruments, there's the father of iron tools, and there's the father of polygamy. Great. And, and, and some people will tell you, well, they, you know, God doesn't say anything about this. He doesn't say anything to Abraham when Abraham takes more than one wife takes a maidservant. He doesn't say anything to Jacob when Jacob takes two wives, so God must be okay with that. That's not, that's not how it is. God, God's, God's expecting us to think a little bit. He's inviting us to read this, his story, and he says, listen, look how it works out. I created man and woman to be one flesh, one that shouldn't be torn apart or interrupted by any other person, not by a second spouse for sure, And he says, read the story and look how it works out to every single person. For every single person who takes more than one wife, looks how it works works out, it doesn't. Abraham screws it up. Jacob screws up royally. David, Solomon, go down the list all through the Old Testament. Every time a second wife is taken, man, it causes a mess. And God says, you think I'm for this? No, I didn't call this good. So Lamech starts out rough, and then it just keeps getting worse. I've killed a young man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. And it says this, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. What's the deal with that? Well, here's the thing. If you remember, God put a mark on Cain. It was a mark for Cain's protection. Cain was worried he was going to go out and he was going to be killed immediately, and God says, no, that's not going to happen. I'm going to extend mercy to you so that anybody who tries to do that, they're going to, be, they're going to have vengeance fall on them seven times. And now Lamech comes back. And, and, and so that's the story that God writes over Cain. He writes over Cain a story of his mercy, a story of his protection. And that's the story Cain gets to tell to his son and his grandson and his great-grandson because God's mercy wasn't just for Cain. It was to extend beyond him to all the generations, and it gets down to Lamech, and all of a sudden that story is changed. And all of a sudden it's not a story about God's protection, it's not a story about God's mercy, it's a story about vengeance. It's a story about how invincible Lamech is. And, and, and here's the thing, God offered mercy to Cain and his family, and they missed it. They missed it. Why did God offer mercy to them? So that they would turn. See, that mercy that God extended to Cain, it was a second chance. It was a chance to confess. It was a chance to repent. It was a chance to change ways. And to our knowledge, you know, Cain never did that. Not not once do you find in Scripture that Cain ever repented. He received the grace. He received the mercy. Extended him. but But he never repented. Do you know he was sowing seeds when he didn't repent? He was sowing seeds. And seven generations later, they've forgotten the mercy of God. And the protection of God has now become a place to judge other people, to bring vengeance on other people. And God says, my mercy was never for that. See, God's mercy is a place for our repentance. 
God's mercy is a shelter for our repentance, a shelter, a place, a safe place for us to confess and repent and turn to a different way. It's a shelter for our repentance. It's not an excuse for our judgment. We've got to ask ourselves, do we, do we make it that? Do we, from a position of receiving God's mercy, do we make it a place, and a, do we use it as an excuse to judge other people? I think we do. I think we find that a lot of times. You, this is what Paul speaks to in Romans. In Romans chapter one, he, he's laying out how people have rebelled against God and laying out the wickedness that's before him. He said, people, people are so far away, they have worshiped creation rather than the creator. And you can imagine his audience saying, yeah, you go get him, Paul, you tell him. They're, they're so far from what they should be. And then Paul turns, and in the next verse, he says, you, are you listening to me? Are you cheering me on? Are you saying, yeah, those people, they're so far from God? Listen, he says, you, you, you therefore have no excuse. You pass judgment on someone else, and for whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you pass judgment. You who pass judgment, you, you do the same things. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? And so if you've been forgiven, if you've received the mercy of God, it's not so that you can turn around and should on everybody else. So that you can recognize, yes, I need to turn. Yes, I'm only here by the grace of God. Yes, his mercy is for me. And it's for everyone else too. Because let's be honest, you know what he says a few verses after this? He says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Judgment, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That's what Paul says after this. Do you know when 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 God extended mercy to Cain, when he says vengeance is going to fall on those who attack you, where was the vengeance supposed to come from? God. Vengeance is his. Vengeance is his. But Lamech comes along and says, no, vengeance is mine. I have the right to judge everybody else. I have the right to, if they so much as scratch me, I'm going to kill them. And they become judge, jury, and executioner. Do we do the same? Does our culture do the same? Do we see this uh, uh, around in our culture? The, the, the internet has become judge, jury, and executioner, hasn't it? And, and I, I can't go a day without, if I scan through the internet, I see an article on, well, TikTok says this about so-and-so. And, and somebody posts a video of that rude customer, and, and, and everybody pours on the shame and pours on the guilt. Or, or that rude fast food employee and they pour it on how terrible, how awful can you be? Thousands, tens of thousands of people who will never meet that person pour on the guilt. Pastor Scott Sauls, he tells the story of one time this happened to a guy named Pete Davidson. If you don't know him, he, Pete Davidson is a, uh, he's a comedian on Saturday Night Live. And, and he, a few years back, he, he did a bit on Saturday Night Live and he um, put up a, a photo of uh, then-congressman-elect Dan Crenshaw. And Dan Crenshaw, if you don't know him, I think he's a congressman currently in, in Texas, and he has an eye patch, and, and it's because he, was, uh, uh, he fought in the war in Afghanistan. He's a decorated war hero, hero. He lost that eye in Afghanistan. He fought for our country. 
And, and Pete Davison on Saturday Night Live threw him up there, uh, put up a, a photo of him and started mocking him and made him the butt of a bunch of jokes because his political views were different and because he wore an eye patch. Pete Davidson was wrong, right? He, he needed to be called, on that, uh, called out on that, wasn't he? And, and he was. He was called out on that. Not, not just by his co-stars, not just by the director, but by everybody. Uh, uh, every media outlet picked it up. Every journalist poured on the show. And there were stories all that week of how atrocious it was that Pete Davison mocked and belittled this man. And they poured on the guilt and they poured on the shame. And we say, well, he, he had it coming, didn't he? I, I mean, he, he deserved that. Pete, Pete Davis, there was so much shame poured out on him. Later in the week, he, uh, he posted on social media, he said this, I really don't want to be on this earth anymore. I'm doing my best to stay here for you, but I actually don't know how much longer I can take it. Hey, oh, the shame got through. The punishment got through. And he went into this steep depression. What do we do with that? I mean, part of us wants to sit here and say, yeah, he deserved it. But did he deserve all of that? For, for a, a lack of judgment? Anybody else had a lack of judgment? For, for, for saying some rude comments? Anybody else said some rude comments? And, and not an ounce of grace seemed to be extended to him. And, and he just... The shame was heaped on until he heaped it on himself. And God would say, that's not what mercy's for. It's not to stand in a place of judgment. And how often do we, in so many other situations as Christians, point the finger at the world around us, point the finger at maybe those shamers on the internet and say, man, I'm so glad I'm not like them. Oh, but you are. That's why you needed mercy in the first place. And, and, and God would say to us, he said, I've told you what's good. He, he says this in Micah. He says, I've told you what's good. I, I, I've told you how you ought to live. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And we've got to ask ourselves this morning, are, are we a people who love mercy? We should be. Because so much mercy has been extended to us. You see, the fast forward to the New Testament and here's what Peter says to Jesus. Peter says, then, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? That's a lot. Somebody come, keeps doing the same thing over and over again, and, and Peter says, I bet seven times would be a whole lot to forgive him. And, God, and, and Jesus says this, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Where have we heard those numbers before? You see, Jesus is picking up on something that his disciples, we missed this. His disciples would have picked up on this immediately. Jesus is referring all the way back to the first chapters of the Bible when Lamech had a boast. God's vengeance is seven times. Cain's vengeance is seven times. Mine is 77 times. Jesus comes and says, God's mercy is seven times towards you and more. It's infinite. So extend your mercy. Extend his mercy 77 times. Can we extend his mercy to others? That's what God's mercy is. It's a shelter, not just for us. It's not an excuse for our judgment. It's a shelter for our, for our repentance. 
and for mercy? Does it show in how you respond to other people in your life? Do you love mercy? And does it show? Dan Crenshaw did. <laughs> you know he loved mercy? He, he could have joined the whole crowd shaming Pete Davidson because he was, after all, the one who was the butt of the jokes. And you know what he did instead? He reached out to Pete Davidson privately and he called him up and he encouraged him and he spoke words of life to him. And he said, you have a pur- all of us have a purpose in this world. He said to him, God put you on this earth for a reason and it's your job to find it and to live that out. And instead of pouring out retaliation and vengeance, Crenshaw extended a hand. So much so that a few weeks later, they were on Saturday Night Live together. He popped up on Saturday Night Live. I wish I could show you. There's a few swear words in it, so look it up later on YouTube. <laughs> I can't show it to you. But, but they went on Saturday Night Live together, and Pete Davidson apologized before everyone and owned his wrong and apologized before everyone and Dan. And Dan get on, and because it was Saturday Night Live, he made Pete Davidson the butt of a few good-natured jokes. <laughs> and then they joined together to ask everyone to remember veterans with honor because it was close to Veterans Day. And at the end of the bit, they shook hands. <laughs> and what the camera didn't catch, but according to reports happened, late, happened right after that, is Pete leaned over and shook Dan's hand and said, you're a good man. You see, Dan extended a hand of mercy instead of building a wall. Can we? Because so much mercy has been extended to you. Right after this, Jesus tells a parable. Right after talking to Peter, Jesus tells a parable of a servant who's been forgiven a debt that would have lasted generations. He's sown a debt and he deserves prison and his family deserves prison for generations, and he gets off the hook. But he can't extend that mercy to others, can we? Because God's mercy is a shelter that's not just for us, it's for others. Are we, are we people who extend his mercy to others? And so the window closes on Lamech and on the, the line of Cain, and we think, okay, God, when are you going to step in? Like God doesn't have anything to say. Lamech is just here and he gets away with it? What's going on? Well, we don't see it right away. But the reaping that Cain had, the reaping that Lamech has is going to bear fruit. The the seeds that they sow, there's going to be consequences, just not yet. Chapter two later, we're not going to get there till next week to, to a place where everyone's Everyone on earth, their thoughts and the intentions of their hearts are evil all the time and it's gonna come to a place where God says enough. Oh, but praise God, it's not yet. His mercy is gonna extend for a little while longer. And, and, and here's the thing. We, we think God lets Lamech get away f- with it. There's, there's always a sowing and a reaping. See, God's mercy doesn't go away, doesn't do away with a reaping. God's mercy doesn't do away with the consequences. There's ways that God allows us all to experience the consequences of our sin. Just ask Pete Davidson, right? He experienced some pain and some consequences. God didn't rescue them, him from that. But do you know what? I think he remembered that. He remembered that, and I bet he learned from that. See, God doesn't always take away our pain. 
Even though he extends mercy to us, he doesn't rescue us from our pain because he works through it. God often doesn't rescue us from our pain because in our pain, there's a plan. You know, the devotional we're reading, Paul David Tripp, he said this a few days ago. He says, yes, your life is messy and hard, but there's not a fail- that is not a failure of the plan. It is the plan. God is working to complete what he's begun in you. See, the pain that comes, whether it's a consequence of our sin or as a result of others' sins in our lives, God uses that pain as part of his plan. And it's not wasted in our lives. Just ask Adam and Eve. Just ask Adam and Eve. The last time we see them, they're leaving the garden and they just have some sons. And then the story picks up and let's see if they've learned that the pain was part of God's plan. Let's see how they've responded. Here's what it says. Adam made love to his wife again. No, I'm not gonna stop. And, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. And listen to this. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. See, it seems like Adam and Eve didn't stay in hiding, did they? They, they were convicted of their sin, and last time we saw them respond in that sin, they were hiding, and God had to call them out. It seems like they didn't stay hiding. Cain had a story to tell of God's mercy, and it became, after he told it and retold it and retold it, it became a story of judgment and vengeance and pride and arrogance. Adam and Eve told their story, and you know the result? At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. This is what happens. Adam and Eve, I think, brought their story out into the light. And, and generation after generation came, and they told that story of how horribly they had messed up and how God had pursued them anyway. How much they had screwed up in their lives and how God came after them anyway. And it continued on again and again and again as a story of God's mercy. That, that they were so ashamed of what they had done that they had covered it up in a way that it couldn't be covered up. They covered it up with leaves and it was no good and they had to hide anyway when God came around and they told that story of the shameful things that they had done and how God pursued them and he caught up to them, but not to shame them. Not to shame them, but to cover up their shame again just in a way that worked. He covered up their shame with a sacrifice. See, to cover up their shame, to cover up their sin appropriately, something had to bleed. And the same is true of our shame and our sin. And, and that picture all the way from Adam and Eve is the story they tell. The story they tell of how horribly they messed up becomes a story of God's grace that people call on the name of the Lord. Do you know the same is true for us? When we bring in, out into the light who we really are, how horribly we've messed up, and how grace-filled God has been, that, that, that he laid out a sacrifice for us, the only thing that could cover our shame and our guilt, and he laid it out for us. And as long as we tell that, see, people get a glimpse of who God is. When they get a glimpse of who we really are in our brokenness and our shame and our mistakes, they, they get a glimpse of who God really is in his grace and his mercy and that that extends to them too. And people begin to call on the name of the Lord. 
That's why we're that's why we're calling us all to be people who tell the story of God in our lives, who are confessional people, and bring it out into the light because when they see who we really are, they can see who God really is to us and who God really can be to them. And then people begin to call on the name of the Lord, and then it goes on. And when Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. And after he became the father of Enosh, Seth, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years, and then he died. And when Enosh, and this is where our eyes start to glaze over, right? And people live, and they have a kid, and they live some more, and they die. And they live, and they have a kid, and they live some more, and then they die. And it goes on and on and on, generation after generation. And it's just so monotonous, right? But here's the thing to pay attention to in the Bible. When you see something repeat, 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 God's trying to draw attention to it. And he's especially trying to draw attention to it if the pattern breaks. And so on repeat, generation after generation, we see live, have a kid, die, live, have a kid, live some more, die. We see that again and again until we get seven generations down from Adam again the other way from Seth. And it says this, and when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch lived another, no, Enoch walked faithfully with God. Nothing like having a kid to make you lean more on who God is, right? to make you desperate for who God is. Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. And all of a sudden, there's a change that God wants to draw our attention to. See, for years, it's been generation after generation, living, dying, living, dying. And then we get to Enoch who walks faithfully with God. How come? See, you can't see it. You can't see it in the other generations because you're too close, but I think he he's, accepts the invitation to walk thankf- faithfully with God because generation after generation before him had lived and died and lived and lived and just lived and just called on the name of the Lord and lived and called on the name of the Lord. And, and, and see, there's a consequence to our sin, right? We saw that with Cain. There's consequences to our sin that, that we reap later on. And, and there's also ways that God's work, God works through our faithfulness. God allows consequences to our failures. He's going to every time. He's going to allow consequences to our failure. Those consequences are part of his plan to draw us back to him. And, and yet, he also works impact in our faithfulness. And, and we can't see it so many times because we're so close. See, we mark... a our lives the same way they did by when we have kids or when we get married or the big events in life, when we get a promotion, when our life takes a new direction and we mark our success in life, we mark the value, we mark the fruit of our lives by those big events. And, and yet the fruit, any fruit that comes out of those big events comes out of the life in between. And let's be honest, there's a, a lot of our lives in between that just seems so monotonous, doesn't it? So day after day, and you don't see any point to it. And sometimes we sow, and we sow, and we sow, and we sow, and there's no reaping. And man, I'm heading this direction, God, and I'm trying to walk faith, and there's no reaping. And, and there's no fruit to this. And here's what we've got to remember. Our lives are headed in a direction, whether we know it or not. Even in those days when we feel directionless, our lives are headed in a direction. We can't see it because we're too close. Just ask Moses. He grew up 
40 years of his life. We know barely, next to nothing about him growing up in, the, in Egypt. And yet God worked in those 40 years. And what did he do? He just walked and he grew. And 40 years more, he was in the desert as a shepherd. And what happened? We don't know much. He just walked and he grew. And God moved in that. God moved in that day to day. Look at Jesus. We know what happened when he was 12 talking to people in the temple and the next time we catch sight of him it's 20 years later. What happened in 20 years? He just lived and he moved and he walked and he grew in favor with God and man. And you know what God says when Jesus comes out of that time? When Jesus comes out of that time and he gets ready to start his ministry, you know what God says? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But before he worked a miracle, before he told one parable, before he started his ministry, before he called one disciple, God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Why is he pleased? Because he was his son. He was pleased out of his identity. His identity is his son, and Jesus just walked out of that identity day after day after day after day, and that's God's invitation to us. He would call us sons and daughters, and would we walk out of that identity day after day after day after day, and sow again and again and again and again the seeds of the Spirit, even when we can't see the results because we're too close. And we take a step and a step and a step and find out it's it's worth it. That's what Enoch found out. Enoch found out it was worth it. We're not told much else about Enoch in the Bible. We're just told this in Hebrews. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. I wonder what that looked like. Don't you wonder what that looked like? We're not told. This is all we're told. He couldn't be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commanded as one who, commended as one who pleased God. One who pleased God. Just because he walked out of his identity. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, must believe that God is, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And, and believe that as we take a step towards him, there's fruit somewhere even if I can't see it right away. And I take a step, there's fruit somewhere, there's reward somewhere, even if I can't see it right away because I'm too close. And take a step and a step and a step and it adds up to the direction of your life. How do we walk faithfully with God? How do we walk with somebody? I, w I was at uh, Disney years back. Got the chance to go with D Disney with my family and with my in-laws. And, and you know how it is when you're in an amusement park and there's crowds all over the place and, and everybody kind of wanders and everybody wants to go different directions and you gotta, you gotta decide what direction you're gonna go. But then somebody's gotta go. And, and because there's mobs of people all over the place and it's so easy to get lost in the mob and, and you gotta fight through that crowd. So I decided I was gonna be the one who fought through the crowd. And, and I was gonna be the one, the take charge guy and I was gonna walk ahead of everybody else. And so there's my wife and my kids and my in-laws walking behind. And, and I take charge and we're going to get to Thunder Mountain, right? Because that's our destination. We're going to get there, the next big thing. And we're going to get there as soon as we can. And I, and I kept going like this from place to place until my wife had to pull me aside and say, listen, like we can't keep up. You're taller than everybody else. You're taking longer strides than everybody else. You need to walk with us. What is walking with? It's, 
You know what walking with meant in that moment for me? It's what it means for us with God too. It was surrender. Like if I had my way, I would walk like this and I needed to surrender one step at a time and take some shorter steps so that I could walk with and not be in control. And I was prepping this message with Pastor Jeff. He was speaking into the message and the content and he, he said like this, this walking with he said it's a thousand steps. It's, it's not one big step after one big step. It's a thousand steps and 10,000 steps and it's 10,000 little surrenders. Surrender after surrender after surrender, step after step after step that adds up to a direction in our lives. 10,000 little surrenders. You gotta start with One. These, these surrenders look all sorts of ways, but do you know what? Most of them are small. Most of them are shortening our steps. Not walking not as far as we would want to, but they're little things. Do you know how many commands in the Bible are so little things? Paul says, clothe yourselves with humility, compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience. And Paul says, love is the greatest thing. Do you know what love looks like? Love looks like patience. Looks like not boasting. Looks like kindness. Don't envy. Don't seek for yourself. Just take a little step. And a little step. And a little step. And you're not going to be able to see the fruit because you're too close. But it's going to add up to a journey that's walking faithfully with God. What's your step? I remember when I was, used to sit in traffic and approach a, a traffic light. And you know those lights where they, they turn green and nobody goes? Especially when you're going to turn left on green and, and, and nobody goes. And you can see right away you're not going to make the green. You're going to have to wait a whole nother cycle. And I used to get so frustrated. I used to get so angry at these people that are getting in my way. And somewhere along the way, God invited me to take a step in those moments. Take a step by sitting still. Just be patient. Just pray for that person who didn't hit their gas. Just thank me for one more moment to not be at your destination and where you can just not take control. Just enjoy one more moment talking with the person in the car with you. Just enjoy one more moment talking to me, he says. Take a step at my pace. We used to go to the movie theater And what do you do in the movie theater? Because it's so darn expensive and I've got a family of five. So we spring for the tickets, but man, that popcorn. So you wear a jacket with pockets, right? (laughs) And then your kids get old enough to read the signs in the theater that say no outside food or drink. And your daughter says, Dad, doesn't that say that? And what are you doing so why are we bringing stuff in? Uh, but it's just a little step, right? I mean, it's no, everybody does it. And God, through my daughter in that moment, was inviting me, now take a little step. Don't worry about the big ones today. Take a little one. And in so many of our relationships, somebody says something, is just wrong. 
and they need to be called out for it. And we call them out for it, but not in the right way. They scratched us, and we want to give it to them. And God would invite us to take a step. Extend my mercy to that person too because they need it just as much as you did. Will you extend the shelter of mercy to someone else today? Will you take a step? What's your step? Doesn't have to be big. Just needs to be a step. Just, to be a, step, just a step at God's pace, not your, your pace. A, a, a step at his control, not your control. Just one little more surrender in a lifetime of little surrenders that maybe when the camera zooms back, hopefully when the camera zooms back, at the end of it, Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And you look back and you say, what? What was back there? Just a whole lot of little steps. So what's your step? That we would take a step and trust that even though we can't see the fruit of it today, that there will be fruit later on. That's what Enoch found, that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. And God took him away, whatever that meant. And that was because of a lifetimes of people who poured into him and lived and walked faithfully with God. And then Enoch just keeps walking faithfully with God. And you pass down a generation and a generation and a generation and eventually you come to one Lamech, a different Lamech, not the other guy. A different Lamech had lived 182 years. He had a son. He named him Noah. And he said, he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord is cursed. See, remember that curse? It still have an impact. They're still living. They're still dying. They're still working hard. The curse still has impact and they're still crying out to, for relief from it. And they walk faithfully with God and along comes Noah. And they say, this one's gonna provide comfort. And he does, in a way. <laughs> like we know about the ark and it actually says Noah, it's actually going to tell us in a few verses after this, Noah walked faithfully with God, same as Enoch. <laughs> See, it bore fruit later on in generations. But you know the most impressive thing about Noah isn't that he walked faithfully with God. It's not even the ark. It's not the flood stuff. It's not the garden he planted afterwards. You flip to Luke chapter 3, and there's another place that we skim over because it's another genealogy. And it starts with Adam, and it moves through Seth, and Enoch, and Noah, and goes all the way to Jesus Christ. And a lot of lives of little steps of faithfulness bear fruit in him. Will ours? I mean, I mean that's the question for us. Is it will ours? What is your step this morning? Who are you going to extend mercy to this morning? Not because it's easy, not because it's big, not because it'll get noticed, just because it's one more step in God's pace at the right direction that adds to, up to a life of him, of walking faithfully with him. Let's pray. God, we surrender to you afresh right now. God, we want to, when we're surrendered in our life to you, we want to do big things for you. We want to have an impact on those around us for your kingdom. And, and God, I, I thank you that you promise that 
There is a sowing to our lives when we walk faithfully with you. That, that impact can be had, but it doesn't always look like we think it'll look. Sometimes it's just a series of little steps. And God, I confess to you right now, there's a whole lot of times in my life, there's a whole lot of days where I'm not humble enough to take the little steps. And so God, in this moment, I ask that you would bring to our minds not the big things that we could do for you, but the little things. Not the big things that we have to plan for and prepare for and dream about and pray for, just the little things that we can do right now today. The steps we can take today to walk faithfully with you. God, we say yes to surrender to you today. Even these moments before your word, I pray that they would be moments of surrender that would bear fruit in our lives. I, I pray that you would in, invite us to the little acts of surrender throughout today and this week that would bear an impact for your kingdom, even if we don't see it. In fact, it's better off probably a lot of times if we don't see it so that we can just walk humbly before you, Lord. God, we want our lives to be worshipped towards you. And so we choose in this moment to worship you now. We surrender our plans for today and ask you to have your way in them. We surrender our agenda for today and ask you to have your way in it. We surrender our desires for today and ask you to rewrite them. Have your way in our minds and hearts so that you might change us and through us impact others. And we will praise you for it. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Grace, would you stand to your feet? These steps, each step we take, is a thousand little surrenders. Or you could say a thousand hallelujahs. Because you know, I know we're here to worship right now to sing, but worship, singing isn't the only way we worship, right? We worship through our walk, one step at a time. And so let's lift this song to our God, declaring that each word is a hallelujah to him, declaring that each step of our lives is a hallelujah to him, that he might be glorified in them. Let's praise him together. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.